Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Our thanks to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada for this episode. I'm Ben Lewis. No Mike McIntyre this week, but so happy to be joined by guest uh, Bastien Fashion. He has a big following on social media. He's done uh, coverage for Tennis TV and several other outlets, and it's his first time on the program. So, Bastien, thanks so much uh, for joining us hi ben thanks for having me and uh congrats on the pronunciation of my name it was perfect so well done on that <laughs> i've been practicing uh in the lead up to, to make sure i got it just uh just right and uh as i have you on we're, we're recapping an incredible uh wimbledon our third slam of the season is in the books before we get into all those details i want to start about your love for tennis because i i know you've penned a big sort of novel expose on the big three if you will of nadal federer and Djokovic's careers um when did you first sort of get into tennis did you play at a young age and uh how did how did it become your passion yeah so first of all I was born uh the day of the 1994 men's Roland final so uh me coming into tennis was pretty much written in the stars and my dad was a tennis instructor so everything was there for me to like tennis. Uh, I think I picked a racket when I was six or seven. Uh, I played at a decent level, although I was never close to being professional. Um, but I still wanted to work in tennis. So I found a different path. Uh, I studied marketing and, and communications, uh, went to social media and then uh, made a made a career out of this. And uh, but yeah, it was always um it was always uh on the equation for me to uh to work into tennis there was no other option for me no that's that's amazing and uh for those who don't follow him on twitter he's a great follow at bastien fashion uh, you, you always have these amazing not only historical stats but your timing with great memes and content creation is is always perfect how have you mastered this art of sharing the the per- perfect clip at the perfect time i don't know i think it's a mix <laughs> of uh tennis knowledge and uh sort of pop culture like I always try to to reach beyond tennis and uh, and to try to grow the sport and and get new fans. Uh, so obviously, I like the uh, the pure uh, tennis analysis and uh, and I'm very much into this. But uh, at the same time, I always try to be relevant to people that uh, follow tennis more casually. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's it's a mix of that and uh, and then everything I learned about social media through my career and my jobs uh, helps me uh, to be on it uh, on my personal account as well. And if we're talking about growing the game, we should transition in, into Wimbledon and, and the men's final that, that took place yesterday. Carlos Alcaraz defeating Novak Djokovic in a four-hour, 43-minute epic I mean, I thought this was really the perfect showcase of our sport of tennis. What did you make of this final, the level, and and how did Alcaraz manage to do this? Uh, I mean, Djokovic, we know his incredible reign on center court hadn't lost since 2013, and he hadn't lost at Wimbledon in, in six years. I thought it was an amazing final, not necessarily in terms of level throughout, uh, but in terms of drama, in terms of storyline. Couldn't be better than this. Uh, four-time defending champion against uh, the world number one, 20 years of age, playing his first Wimbledon. 
Um, all eyes on him after what happened at Roland Garros. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the 2008 final, uh, Nadal Federer, that uh, five-setter epic uh, with Nadal winning it. Um, honestly, I didn't think Alcaraz would do it, um, especially after the first set. And uh, and then at the beginning of the, of the fifth set, when he faced break points, uh, if he would have fallen down a break to Djokovic in the fifth, then uh, I think it was game over. So I was stunned by his composure and uh, and the way he handled that final throughout, uh, first set aside. And uh, it, uh, it uh, reassured me uh, the thought that he's the next big thing and, uh, and he's going to win, I think, double digits Grand Slams, although we never know, but uh, he's well on his way to do it. And um, I don't know if he was uh, a changing of the guard because I think Djokovic is still going to win at least one or a couple Grand Slams. But um, yeah, it was... Those kind of moments you always remember. Uh, Nadal had that moment in 2008 against Federer. Then Djokovic won uh, the 2011 final against Nadal. Then Murray won the 2013 final against Djokovic. So every all-time great has that kind of moment where you know they're going to be great. And and that was it for, for Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, well said. And I, I think... Uh... That the obvious parallel there is, of course, Nadal and, and winning that 2008 final. Um, the thing that was I was just so stunned by is, as you mentioned, like Nadal breaking through and beating Federer in 2008. That was a couple years in the making because, of course, Federer held that reign and stopped him in 2006, stopped him in 2007. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like that Novak Djokovic pointed out uh, in press after that. Carlos's greatest strength seems to be his adaptability. How how key do you think that was to, to him winning this match? Yeah, I thought it was Djokovic, what Djokovic said in press was the ultimate praise. Um, he said Alcaraz was the best of three words um, himself, Rafa, Roger. I can definitely see it as well. Uh, I think he took, um, thanks to Juan Carlos Ferrer as well, he took uh, a little bit of each of them. Uh, you can see that he plays uh, first strike tennis like like Federer, uh, huge forehands. He's got that great and uh, and never say die attitude from uh, from Rafa, and uh, I think he's actually closest to Djokovic in terms of uh, pure game style, with mm-hmm. the with the sliding backhand on the grass and. Um, and and the way he covers his ground and uh, and uh, rarely makes 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 mistakes uh, in important points. Um, but yeah, it's it's so amazing to see such a re- such a well-rounded player at only twenty years of age. Uh, I don't think Rafa was that well-rounded at his age. Uh, Djokovic definitely wasn't neither, and Federer neither as well. Uh, they actually won their second slam at 22 or 23 years old. So, um, so yeah, it's it's incredible to see uh, how far uh, Alcaraz has has come so early in his career. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be so fascinating to see uh, how far he comes in the next uh, decade or so. 
Yeah, and uh, retaining that world number one ranking with the victory as well, which I, I think adds so much intrigue with the U.S. Open around the corner, National mm -hmm. Bank Open around the corner as well, and the North American hardcourt swing. We know Carlitos plays amazing on the hardcourts. I have to wonder now, you, you see what's happened with the first three slams of the season with Djokovic winning the first two, Carlos now taking Wimbledon. Does it feel like there's a bit of a gap here that, you know, obviously Nadal is injured and he won't be back till next year, that Carlos and Novak feel a bit head and shoulders above the rest of the field? Or, or do you think there are a couple names who are still close right now? I think it's them two and then the rest. Um, I don't know who tweeted this, but um, I think they're the best two players on hard, on clay and on grass, on every surface. Um, and yeah, I would say on hard, the next best the next best player is, is I would say, Medvedev. Mm -hmm. But still, uh, when he faced uh, Alcaraz in the Indian Wells final, he got steamrolled two and three, something like this. So yeah, I, there's a little bit of the gap between uh, Djokovic, Alcaraz, and the rest of the players. Uh, Casper is a great player as well. Made the U.S. Open final last year, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't favor him against any of those two. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to to see them again in the final of the U.S. Open. Uh, even though a lot of things can happen in the meantime, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely them two and then the rest. Yeah, and if you mention Medvedev, I mean, he's had an outstanding season, maybe save for the slams and the semifinals of Wimbledon felt like a, a great result, though. Are are you surprised, like, how he seems? Uh, is it just a matchup problem uh, against Carlos for him, how he, he seems like he's been completely outplayed uh, the times he's gone up against Alcaraz? Yeah, I'm not sure he's using the right tactic against Alcaraz. I think he's, uh, I mean, it works against the large majority of the of the other players, but uh, he's returning way too far from his baseline against Alcaraz. And uh, uh, in the Indian, Indian Wells final, Alcaraz came to the net a lot to uh, to prevent uh, to prevent Medvedev from starting the rally like this. Uh, he was serving volleying and completely nullifying uh, that Medvedev advantage, and uh, it was pretty much the same at Wimbledon. Um, Tactically, um, I don't think Medvedev made the right choice in doing this. And uh, yeah, he was just completely outplayed. Uh, but again, it, it works against 90, 95%, 99% of the, of the players on tour. But if he wants to beat uh, Alcaraz, he's going to try to to do something different. Uh, although it might work against Djokovic. Uh, Medvedev has had a lot of success against Djokovic. But uh, yeah, against against Alcaraz, you have to to find something different. I think. Yeah, well said. Um, I, I did want to ask you actually about a, a, a few of our Canadian players, and Denis Shapovalov did have the best run of the Canadians on, on the men's side, reaching the round of sixteen. Do you feel like this was a positive step uh, for him in the right direction? I, I mean, this is his deepest run at a Slam since Australia of last year. I think yeah. I think it was a. Uh... A step in the right direction. Um, I was disappointed not to see him in the quarters, but uh, I understand that he got injured in the in the third set against Safiudin. Um That's that's an injury that he's been carrying for a while. So uh, I'm not too sure if he if he should get injured if he could get uh, surgery on this or 
or fix it. Uh, but uh, he's definitely been carrying us for a while. Um, I, I, I love that player. Uh, I still remember summer of 2017 when he first came into the scene and beat Nadal in Montreal. Uh, Were you there, by the way? <laughs> no, I wasn't there. The first, the first year I worked in Montreal was 2019 when when Nadal won it. Uh, but uh, I definitely wish I was there that year because it uh, it looked electric. But um, yeah, I'm still I'm still hoping for the best for for Shapovalov. The talent is definitely there, and uh, and the same goes for Felix, who's also one of my favorite player. Um, still top ten or borderline top ten. Uh, I think for Felix, it's more of a confidence uh, issue than, than physical or injury-wise. Um, but uh, yeah, I disagree with the take that they are done and that and that they're not they're never gonna win Grand Slams. I think they're just 23, 24, 25 of age. They still have a lot of time ahead of them, uh, and they can still do it. Uh, and uh, I think they will do it at some point, even though there's Alcaraz, but uh, he's not going to win every slam. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the same goes for uh, the likes of uh, Tsitsipas and, and Zverev and, and Kasper. I think they're going to get one at some point uh, because it's not the same as the generation of the, the Tsonga, the Burdick, the Ferrer. Uh, they were going against uh, three or four guys at the same time. Here, uh, you're likely to have Carlos uh, and maybe Yannick and Holger, but you know it's not three or four all-time greats at the same time. So I think there's going to be a window for them. You raise an interesting point, and I want to get your take because it, it feels like there's sort of a Medvedev, Tsitsipas kind of Rublev, Zverev generation there, and there's an yeah. Alcaraz, Sinner, Runa type of generation i i guess the alcaraz runa sinner do we have to think obviously they're going to be getting more of the opportunities we know alcaraz of course already has two slams but is it fair to say runa and sinner now look like the more dangerous players going forward maybe but uh yeah at the same time medvedev and rublev are still going deep at, at every grand slam I think uh, Rublev has been has been pretty unlucky with his uh, quarterfinals draw, uh, getting Djokovic or great players all the time, and uh, he's definitely going to be in the mix as well. So um, yeah, if we think long term, uh, it's probably going to be Alcaraz, uh, Sinner, and and Holger, but uh, Medvedev and and Rublev are still 27, 28, so they're they're still likely to be there and. Uh, and Zverev as well, so NTT Pass. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, to see the dynamics, and um, and and we saw that it can change in a matter of just uh, a few years. Um, just back in 2019, we thought that that CT Pass and Zverev and and Medvedev were going to dominate uh, for the next years, for the next decade, and uh, so far only Medvedev won a slam. So. Everything can change pretty quickly in tennis, so we'll see how it goes. There are always new faces on the rise. Uh, we talked a lot about it last week. Milos Raonic, it looked like he probably played his final Wimbledon and did get a match win before losing to Tommy Paul. And uh, if you have the opportunity, be sure to to see him in, in Toronto at the National Bank Open, which should be his final Canadian tournament. Do you remember his Wimbledon final from, from 2016 and, and sort of that special run unfolding? 
I do. I remember. Uh, I painfully, uh, painfully remember that he beat Roger in uh, in the semi in a in a <laughs> grueling uh, five setter. Uh, I think that was when uh, Federer injured himself. Uh, he didn't play the Olympics. Took six months off. Then he got better. He won the Australian Open. But anyway, um, I think the whole 2016 from Rionich was was brilliant. He made the semis in in Australia. Uh, he was close to beating Murray, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think it went five sets, um, and that was against the best version of Murray. Um, I think a different uh, time frame, Rayonich could have won a slam. Unfortunately, he, he picked in that year where uh, Federer and Adal were not at their best, but still Murray was there and Djokovic was still there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the issue and all the, all the regrets that that generation can have. They were born at the wrong time and, uh, and Reonich didn't even get a, a Masters 1000, which, which is really unlucky for him because he definitely deserved to get one. I think he made the final of Montreal one year, lost to yeah. Rafa 2013, um, but uh, yeah, I was happy to see him come back. And uh, yeah, he's a brilliant player and uh, seems to be a great guy as well. Yeah, very good memory. I, I think he also, I think Djokovic may have beaten him in a final in Cincinnati as well. So maybe a couple yeah. couple finals last, losses of Masters 1000s. I believe it was during the COVID year when there were like no fans yep. in the stands. Uh, Djokovic be, beating him in three sets there. Looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation? Look no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort with its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10XTO, and four indoor tennis courts. There's something for everyone in the family, but that's not all Hotel X has to offer. With luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar, there's so much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto for business or pleasure, Hotel X is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike. Book your stay at Toronto's only urban resort, Hotel X Toronto. Experience the extraordinary. Bastian, we should get into the women's side, and, and certainly this was a stunning result. Marketa Vondrasova was was not on my list of contenders. I will readily admit that, and I, I think you can make an argument she's one of the most or the most unlikely Wimbledon Wimble, Wimbledon women's champions ever. Uh, how stunned were you by her path to a title here and, and defeating Anjabur in the finals, 6-4, 6-4? Uh, I think it was a lesson for everyone, me included, uh, not to underrate anyone. Uh, it's also a lesson of uh, depth in the in the in a women's tennis game uh, to have the the seventh best Czech player uh, go this far and and win Wimbledon. Uh, same with Mukova, Rangaros. There's so much depth uh, in women's tennis and in, in Czech tennis in particular, um, and Everyone ranked in the top 50 can make a deep run. Uh, Vondrusova was, I would say she deserved to be seated. Like uh, she's not a classic unseated player. Like she, mm-hmm. she made a, she made a Rangers final when she was 19, four years ago. She was a silver medalist at the Olympics. So she definitely could have been seated if not for her injuries. He was, she was injured last year. Uh, during Wimbledon, 
um but yeah she was uh, she made a brilliant run um and it's also um i i thought and i read that in in uh, i think it was luisa thomas uh piece in the new yorker uh i have it here she said it was never vondrusova's job to be a footnote in someone else's storybook ending stories after all don't write themselves and i thought it was particularly true um in terms of her beating uh, Svitolina, who was a fan favorite, and then Jabber in the final. Uh, I personally wanted Svitolina to do well because it was, to me, the story of the tournament, coming back from pregnancy, and then on Jabber, uh, you know, that sort of uh, redemption story from last year's final that uh, she, didn't, she didn't really play to the best of her abilities but uh marketer just said nope this is my time to shine this is my story and uh, she did it brilliantly and uh, she she gave a lesson to to everyone i thought yeah and it, it's interesting uh you look at her path to to get to the final i i mean a couple straightforward wins early on but but then she beats her her compatriot Boskova in a tough three-setter where she lost the opening set there. You had a really good screenshot, actually, of where she was trailing against American Jessica Pagula. I think she was down, was it 4-1, 30-40 in that third set? Yep, 4-1, 30-40. So virtual match points. Um, but yeah, she uh, she came through it and uh, and uh, and the semifinal and the final were uh, straight satyrs. So, um, so yeah, uh, but if you take every major champions run, uh, most of the time they're going to have that one complicated match that if they go through it, then the rest of the path uh, is easier. And uh, and that was it for her. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about Anjabur and her path because it, it felt like she got past the biggest heavyweights possible to get to that mm-hmm. final. Um, we, we talked a little bit about, I, I thought she had a great match actually earlier in the tournament, third round with Bianca Andrescu. She rallied for a three set victory there. Um, you know, avenges last year's loss to Rybakina in the quarterfinals comes from behind, wins that in three sets comes from behind against the world. Number two, arena Sabalenka. And then I, I don't know if, maybe the fan base thought the final was going to be more of a formality. Like this is the straightforward match that she will comfortably win was maybe was too much energy used up beating these incredible players before she got to the final or, or what, what do you think maybe um, what do you, what do you think sort of affected her to not deliver her best performance? I think in the final, she made the perfect start. She was up a quick break. Uh, then I think four, two, and it suddenly hit her that um, she came into the match as the favorite and she was playing the better tennis. And if she kept going like this, then uh, in the next hour, she was going to be a Wimbledon champion. And it struck her in a way that uh, it had struck her last year in the final and in US Open final last year as well. And, you know, all these emotions that were buried inside of her they came pulling back and uh, and then she started making unusual errors and, and she couldn't find her game and Vondrusova capitalized on this. And then, uh, yeah, she, she put up a fight in the, in the second set. She was up a break as well, but um, she definitely did not play her best. And uh, I hope that she gets another chance because if someone deserves to win a slam, uh, it's her 
and uh, you never know in sports, but um, I made that comparison. Uh, Andy Murray, he lost his fourth, his uh, first four Grand Slam finals uh, before winning one. Uh, so even though he was younger, I think you can make the same comparison with Ons Jaber. She, I think she's gonna get another chance, and uh, and uh, I hope the nerves will not kick in again. And uh, I just hope she plays freely. And if she has to be outplayed, I hope it's just uh, a matter of tennis and not nerves. Yeah, and uh, my my co-host Mike made the comparison of Yana Novotna. Actually, she lost her first um, three Slam finals. Uh, same thing for Anz Jabeur, but also lost her first two finals contested at Wimbledon in 1993 and 1997 before uh, beating Toziad in the finals in 1998 for her lone Slam towards the end end of her career. It still feels like Anz Jabeur has a lot of time um, to to make it happen. I would think. I. I'm curious now as we enter sort of the the North American hardcourt swing, um, our sort of new big three on the women's side of Arena, Iga, and Elena, do they suddenly look a little bit more vulnerable to you uh, as we venture to the new part of the season? Yeah, maybe you could say so. Uh, I definitely thought one of the three would win Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, the, the streak was broken. Um I would say now it's a big four of them three and then the whole country of Czech Republic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I because, like that. Uh, because Vitova won Miami, uh, Krejčíková won Dubai, and Vondrusova won Wimbledon. All the big titles were won by either those three or Czech Republic. Um, but um, obviously, Ons Jaber is right there. Um you can never count out uh, Caroline Garcia, even though she hasn't played her best tennis since the start of the season. But uh, still, she won the WT finals last year and she made the semis at the US Open. Um, I think Coco Goff is in the mix as well. Uh, Jesse Pegula. There's a lot of great players that can still do it and, and be contenders at US Open. But uh, to me, the, the bigger picture hasn't changed. It's still a big three of uh, Sviantek, Sabalenka, and Rybakina, and then uh, the other players, even though I think there's less of a gap between them three and the rest of the tour than there is between uh, Carlos and Djokovic and the rest of the men's tour. Yeah, well said. And uh, I, I mean, you called it the storyline of the tournament. I'd agree with you, Alina Svitolina, making this magical run to the semifinals. I, she had such a fantastic career, actually, prior to you know injuries and then going on the hiatus, having the pregnancy. Um, 17 total WTA titles. I, I think she's won the WTA finals as well. She's had tremendous success at tour level. What do you think this maybe means for her moving forward to, to know that she can return after such a long break? Just start training again in January and be back at a Wimbledon stage and, and beating the world number one. Um, I think she can take the example of um, Kim Kleisters, uh, who won three of her four uh, slams after uh, her pregnancy. Uh, I think it was uh, on the back of 2009, 2010. Um, I think there's an element of playing more freely when you came back when you come back from from pregnancy. Um, you're playing for something that's bigger than you, um, and uh, there's definitely um, more examples of players coming back 
from uh, pregnancy and and making deep France. Uh, Serena made four finals. She couldn't win that elusive twenty fourth, but she played really well after pregnancy as well. So yeah, there's definitely examples, and um, and she's playing better than ever. Uh, she matched her best performance out of Snam, uh, making the semis. Uh, she had already made the, the quarters at uh, at Warangaros. I was at the match against uh, Kazetkina in the round of 16. I thought mm. she was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, I uh, I think she can still do it, and uh, and I hope she does it. We uh, I had a chance to speak with Chris Eubanks on the podcast back in late February, and at that point, the benchmark and latest goal that he was striving for was breaking the top 100, and he would get there a few weeks later. And you know, I could not have envisioned this type of run. Uh, what he did through the grass court season, winning an ATP title in Mallorca, and then a quarterfinals run uh, at Wimbledon. He was storyline number two for me. What what Eubanks did on the grass courts at the All England Club. Yeah, I think he's someone that I know him a little bit. I think he's very smart, very intelligent. Uh, he's he's got the ability to reflect on his game and to articulate uh, his thoughts about other players' game. That's why he's commentating. He's been commentating on Tennis Chanel. He's a great analyst, and he's doing that same job for himself, and it's working really well for him. I think the talent has always been there. It was visible, um, but he didn't really believe that he could do it. Uh, not enough. Um, and yeah, something something clicked, and uh, and it's so magical to see that when when a player ranked uh, outside of top hundred for years suddenly finds that they're they're capable of the, of those things and 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 starts redlining for one month straight, winning Mallorca and defeating uh, Nori and Titi Pass at Wimbledon, almost defeating Medvedev. That was that was amazing to see. Um, I liked that uh, Medvedev. Uh, made the semis. That was great for him. Although I would have liked uh, Chris to 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 continue his run, and uh, and now he's just outside the top thirty. Uh, he's going to be seeded at slams. Um, he can still go much higher than that because he doesn't have much point to defend uh, on the hard courts. So yeah, it would be it will be fascinating to see how far he goes. Um, if I had to guess, I would say. His ceiling is probably, uh, yeah, top 10, top 15. But again, you never know. He's serving big. He's got a huge forehand. He beat the, the, the record of winners in one year at Wimbledon, which was, I didn't even know that, that that record was in danger of being broken. But congrats to him. And uh, yeah, I think he can he can go as high as the top 10. Yeah, uh, and and to do it now is just suddenly peaking at uh, age twenty seven is is really cool to see. As as we wrap up, I want your thoughts uh, on Bianca Andrescu and Leila Fernandez, uh, who will be in Montreal early uh, August. I wrote an article for Sportsnet just recapping Wimbledon, and I thought. Um, I saw a lot of promise in Bianca's game uh, these past couple weeks, particularly just the way she pushed on Jabur in that third round match. Yeah, uh, both of them had uh, close losses. Um, uh, Leila to um, 
to Caroline Garcia, seven six in the third, I think, in the second round. Yep. And then and then Bianca to Ons Jaber, I think, in the in the third round of round of sixteen. But both of them could have made it further. Um, I think they're they're on their way back, both of them, uh, after those great runs at the US Open. Um, I'm not sure what their ranking is at the moment, um, but yeah, they're probably going to have to get that ranking up, not to get those high seeds in the first rounds of slams and, and big tournaments. Um, but they definitely have the game. They're still pretty young, both of them. And uh, I don't think uh, uh, either of their runs at US Open, uh, winning it for Bianca in 2019, uh, making the final 2021 for Leila, where uh, uh, Fluke, I think, they reflected their level, uh, and I definitely think they can replicate, replicate it, and uh, it might uh, start at uh, at Toronto next one. Yeah, and uh, just uh, Bianca now just outside the top forty at forty two. Layla will have more work to do. She's uh, outside the top eighty at this moment. Um, I will just mention as we wrap up, 16-year-old Canadian Victoria Maboko actually defended her title from Saskatoon last year, winning the ITF 60K in Saskatoon this past week. So congrats to Vicky, just 16 years old, winning another ITF title. Bastian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, join in on the podcast. Are are you going to Montreal as well uh, next month? Yeah, I will be working for uh, for Montreal doing social media for them, uh, like last year. Uh, first time I'm doing it for the for the women's event, so I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a little bit different, and um, I'm actually uh, doing Washington as well uh, the week before. So I'm going to be working those two events back to back, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the to the American uh, hardcore swing. That's fantastic. Well, we look forward to continuing to follow your work. Uh, Guys, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. 